Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Last week, I made the mistake of telling you that when I was in college, I worked at Abercrombie & Fitch. <laughs> That's what somebody else said in the first service, too. Yep, that was a mistake. Um, but let me just tell you a little bit more about that job. Uh, I was in college. I was a young man. I was you know, young, impressionable, made some mistakes, whatever. So, so I'm working at Abercrombie & Fitch, and it was a challenging job. And have you ever worked retail? Anybody worked retail in here before? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Be proud. Yeah, I, I have. I've done it. Uh, so one of the things that we had to do at Abercrombie & Fitch was we had to make sure that that store was completely perfect before we left for the evening. So the mall is starting to shut down, and we got to make sure, starting about 7 o'clock or so, we're making sure that the store is perfect before we leave. Now, everybody else out there in the mall, they all get to go home at 9, 9.05. They close the gates, they leave their shop, they're out of there. We're staying till 9.30, 10, 10.30, 11, 12.30, 1 o'clock to make sure that store is right for the next morning because they had such a vision for how it was supposed to be. And when I say vision, I mean like every hanger in the entire store had to be facing the exact same direction. I mean, we had to fold the shirts exactly the same size with a little bit of a thickness, about an inch or so, and had to be perfect and in descending order. Like everything had to be just right. We had to walk through and spray the overpriced cologne to make sure that it smelled the way that it was supposed to smell. So we're doing all this stuff. And so when it comes to about 8.30, you're like, okay, come on, let's get this going. Let's see if we can get out of here at a decent time tonight. But almost always, it never failed, there'd be some lady walk in about 8.50, she comes and grabs a shirt, flaps it out, eh, nope, that's not it, and throws it. She goes around, picks up a shirt off a hanger, eh, let me go try this on. And she tries it on and then hangs it somewhere else where it's not supposed to be. And she's just running through the store, ravaging all the work that I'm trying to do to get out of there in a timely manner. I did not like that person. Because Abercrombie & Fitch had a design and a purpose. It needed a vision for how that store needed to look. And this lady comes in and she just ruins all of it. Do you ever wonder if maybe God looks at us in that way? <laughs> He's got a perfect vision for the world and a place where he wants it to go. And we just run in, let me see this. And we just kind of mess it up. Sometimes I've wondered about that and thought about it. But actually... That's not the way he sees you at all. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about your mission in work. Most of you know that we've been in this series called Work Life. And we've been talking about how work is a blessing. It's not a curse. How you're created as a human being. You're created to actually do work. And you should be joyful about that. We've talked about your personal calling in work. We've talked about um, how you work for the Lord first and not just for your bosses. And so we've been in this verse, Genesis 1.26, and it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does this mean? 
We've read this over and over again, made in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, it's really interesting, actually. That word image in the Hebrew, it's translated as idol or statue would be accurate. So an idol or a statue is it's what? It's a visible representation of, his, of an invisible being. So it's a visual representation of somebody who's not here right now. And a statue was actually in every temple of every god in the ancient world. You could walk in there, and the reason that they would build that statue is so the worshipers could walk in and look at, the, look at that idol and go, oh, that's what God is like. So that's the purpose, and that's the image. So this is kind of interesting to me because when you start to think of it that way, that is what we are. We are God's statues. We are supposed to be in his image so people can look at us and know what God is supposed to be like. So also in the ancient Middle East, kings would set up images of themselves. So they would set up something that looked exactly like them. Like they would, it, it was an image of them. It was in their likeness. So this king would have in the far corners of the kingdom an image of him. It looked like him, and people could recognize that. And he may never visit that area, but people would know, oh, that's what the king is like. And so the governors in that area, they would use that. The governors are the representatives of the king in that region. And so they would use that image to say, this is the king, and his will needs to be done here. Like it is in the capital, his will needs to be done right here in this space, in this corner of the kingdom. So isn't this interesting? Because in Genesis chapter 1, God calls humans his image bearers. That's what we are. In other words, we are God's statues. We are his representatives over the earth. We are where we are. His will should be done there just like it is in heaven. So as image bearers of God, there's a couple primary things that we're really supposed to do. The first thing is, is that we reflect. In other words, we mirror what God is like to the world. And we bear essential aspects of what God is like in our humanity. So when people look at you, if you're a follower of Jesus, they should be able to determine what God is really like. We reflect. But the second thing we do is we rule. Everybody say rule. 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 Very nice. Very nice. Everybody say rule. Rule. That rules. You got embarrassed on that one. That's okay. The first thing God says after creating all of this is he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and let's make them that way so that they may rule. Remember that word rule, it's king and queen language. It's, uh, in Hebrew, it means to reign, to have dominion. One Hebrew scholar translates it this way. He says, to rule is to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And if you don't get much else from this series, and if you've been hit or miss, and if, you, if you're not sure what you can take away from this, I want you to remember that right there. To rule is to actively partner with God in taking his world somewhere. This is what you do in the nine to five of your daily life. So what does all this mean? It means from the very beginning of the story, God had a specific design for you, and that God is looking for partners, and not puppets. God's looking for people that he can partner with and not puppets. And many of us kind of think that way. Well, God's up there, big man in the sky, just making me do whatever he wants me to do. Like on the marionette strings, trying to make me dance, monkey, dance! Like just forcing me to do his stuff. And that's not what God wants at all. The image God gives is partners, representatives, image bearers. The word used in theology is co-regents or co-kings. God's design for you is that you would work with God ruling over the earth. Now, the reality is, is that God could have continued to make humans from dust just like he did with Adam. 
But instead, he chose something different. He decided he was going to work through humans, through marriage, through sex, through family. He was going to do something different. God could have chosen to feed humanity continually. Just, I'm going to put them here. I'm just going to hand out some manna from heaven, just like I did with the Israelites. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. Instead, he decided, I'm going to work through humans. I'm going to work through farming and agriculture and seasons and seed time and harvest. He could have dropped Adam and Eve right into the middle of a city and said, here, take care of that. But he didn't do that. Instead, what he did was he chose to drop them into a garden. And he said, okay, you guys, now try to make a civilization out of that. Why would he do all of these things? Because he's showing you he wants to partner with you to take the world somewhere. He wants you to partner and work with him. And by the way, that's a big risk because this is a mixed bag. Some of us do okay at this, and some of us, we mess this up from time to time. Can I hear a good amen? Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them then and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In theology, this verse here, this idea, it's called the cultural mandate. Everybody say cultural. <laughs> cultural mandate. There we go. Or the creation mandate. Adam and Eve here, they're commanded to do something. They're commanded to go and make culture. And by the way, that lives on for all of us today. Go and make culture. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule. Or to put it another way, go create culture. So I want you to hear this today. If you're wondering, what am I doing here? What is my life all about? What am I supposed to do with my work? Let me help you a little bit here. Every human's job title is this. It's the image of God. You're wondering what your job title is as a human being. It is the image of God. That's what you are. And every human's job description is this cultural mandate that we just read. In other words, this is how we go about the ruling thing. This is how we fulfill that job title. So I want to break down this cultural mandate just for a moment here. And I want us to break it down into two primary things. The first is God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and and multiply. Oh, God is a good God, everybody. Half the room understands what I'm talking about. You'll catch on eventually as we go. Thank you, Gavin. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. This is a good idea. Get married. Have sex. Have See, there you, there you go. There you are. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay, I got it. I got it. Have sex. Have kids. Start a family. Like, this is what God is saying. Now, Maria and I, most of you probably know that we've chosen to homeschool our kids for a variety of reasons. And not the typical reasons that you might think of, well, keep your kids out of the evil of the world. I actually don't believe in that. I believe that you should raise godly kids and disciple them to be like Jesus the best you can and send them into the dark world to be lights and examples of the gospel. I think that's what you should do. But for different reasons, we've decided to homeschool our family. And so my wife spends the vast majority of every day raising and teaching and training our kids. And our kids, they are the most wonderful and most destructive thing that has ever happened to us. They really have ruined everything in just a really marvelous way. And so we really do. I'm so thankful for my family. Uh, but we, we've chosen this lifestyle for now. And, um, and people sometimes ask, you know, they'll say, oh, so, oh, so homeschool, so, oh, so your wife doesn't work? And I hate when people say that. That's strong language. I, do, I hate when people say things like that because there's a subliminal message that parenting doesn't really count as a legitimate career. 
that it's not something that you should really spend that much. You, you, got, you got things. You, you're so smart. You're so talented. You have so much to give. I mean, why would you waste your best years on your kids? The reality is our culture, and I think even sometimes the church, not this church, but just the church at large, doesn't have a correct or a high view of parenting as a career. We can tend to look down on it, but God's view on this is completely different, everybody, and I want you to see this, because to him, it's the first thing on the job description. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It's the first thing on the job description for you and me. Now, obviously, for some of you, that's difficult because it, it's, you, you've tried and you haven't been able to. For some of you, you're single, and so that's not going to happen right now. And so I'm not saying that this is it, and you've got to do just this. And I'm not saying that everybody should run right out and get pregnant. It's awkward. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is, if you're a parent, great job. Keep going. This is the focal point of God's vision for the world. You're doing a great thing. Now, that doesn't leave out people who are single by any means, because lest we forget, Jesus Christ himself was single and celibate. All right, <laughs> it got awkward again. Jesus himself was single and celibate, and so there is a place here. So if you're single, this cultural mandate, it also applies to you, because it also means to harness this world, to make it into something more, to create civilization, to take the family that you have, and for some of you that may be this family of God, and take it somewhere and create civilization. Make churches, make schools, make governments, make institutions, make language and ethnic groups, make something out of people, make more businesses. That is your job, to fill up the earth. That's what God's called you to do. The second thing in this cultural mandate is that you would subdue and rule. Subdue, which means to harness the natural world, to make something of it. So you've got trees, and you've got rocks, and you've got rivers, you've got energy flowing, you've got vitamins, you've got minerals, and art, and beauty, and music. Use all of those things to make something of this natural world. So plant crops and grow them. Build some houses. Invent technologies that are new. Design software. Compose music that's beautiful. Create art. Build bridges in cities. Make something of the natural world. That's what you are called to do. That's your job. Subdue and rule. So as a human, as an image bearer, this is your job, to make something of the world. Now, that doesn't mean trash the environment. That doesn't mean that you should pollute the air or we should be strip mining everything. No, not by a long shot. Actually, there's a specific kind of world that we're called to make. Look at this in Genesis 2, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. And aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Wow. What an amazing passage of Scripture that is. Do you ever read passages like this and go, what? Huh? So what? Why is, why is that even there? What does this have to do with anything? Who cares? Actually, this is really important because what the author here is saying is the garden, it's made up of raw material. He's talking about trees and rivers in the ancient world. Trees and rivers, they're the source of life. He's talking about gold and minerals and metals in the ground. And what he's saying is Eden is raw and it's full of just pure potential. And all the stuff is in there, gold and onyx, and all the stuff is there that you can actually make something with it. 
That's what he's communicating. Look at what God says to Adam then in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And we've been using this definition of work from Tim Keller. Work is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation. So stones and rocks and rivers and mineral, art, beauty. Rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general. And people in particular to thrive and flourish. Where is Tim Keller getting that from? It's right here in Genesis chapter 2. So check this out. This word, work, he said, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. This word, work, in the Hebrew, it's often translated as service. Isn't that cool? It's translated as service. So work is service. It's service to God, and it's service to people that are made in God's image. And that means everybody, by the way, bad tippers included. Even, and let's not be those people, by the way. Let's represent Jesus well and be generous and go out after lunch today and tip people really, really good. But bad tippers included, people that come into the store late, right when you're trying to close, and unfurl all of your shirts, those people included, you serve all of them. But that word is also translated all over the Hebrew Bible as worship. Service and worship. Work is service and worship. So work and worship are not just two separate ideas. They're tra two translations of the exact same word. Because worship is not just what we do here on a Sunday and what we did this morning. Worship is all of your life. And when you walk into work tomorrow morning, you can walk in in service to the living God and worship to the living God, and you can have a very much different day than you've been having. Hmm. Okay. A little quiet. So the garden was raw. It was pure potential. That means it was dynamic. It wasn't just static. To put it another way, creation, it was a project. It was not a product. God created creation as a project not a product which means the garden was designed to go someplace and God puts Adam in there to work it to serve and to worship so the garden of Eden don't think of it like a public park that's kind of how we think of oh it's pretty and and God just hands off a lawnmower to Adam and some hedge trimmers and says all right go in there and try not to screw it up Adam keep it neat and keep it tidy instead think of the garden like a wild untamed wilderness hundreds and hundreds of acres just teeming with life there's wildlife and minerals and water, and God says, okay, now go into that and make a world. Make a civilization out of that. Go make roads. Go put up buildings. Go put up art and music. Go take the raw materials of my creation and make something great out of them. This is actually why when you get to the end of the Bible story in Revelation 21 and 22, and you read about the future of the earth when Jesus comes back again, Jesus makes the world new again. He puts everything right John writes about how we're going to live then in what he calls the new Jerusalem right here on the earth. But he writes about it using all kinds of garden language from Genesis 1 and 2. He talks about a tree of life in the middle of the city. He talks about rivers running through the city. There's no more curse. Everything is made right. In Revelation, John is clearly saying we're back in Eden, but this time it's not a garden. This time it's a city. It's change. It's not just a garden. It's a city. Why is that? I mean, come on, if Jesus is going to come and put the world back together because it's broken, why does he take you and me just back to the garden, back to the original thing? Why does he just drop us in there? Why does he take us to a city? It's because the garden was never supposed to stay a garden. The garden was always supposed to become a garden city. Always. That was God's design from the beginning. But obviously, you and I know there's a big problem, though, because sin comes and enters the world. Genesis 3, there's sin, the fall, Adam and Eve sin. And they make a mess of the world. 
So if you were to take sin out of the Bible story, you've got Genesis 1 and 2 and kind of Revelation 21 and 22. And so really you've got a nice little pamphlet that tells a pretty cool story. But sin does enter the world. And so now humans are a wreck. We've got a serious problem because the world is wild. It's in serious need of taming. It needs ruling. And whose job is it to rule? Ours. You did so much better than the 1130. They had no clue. They just, I mean, the 930 had no clue. So well done. Good job. You guys are smart. It's our job. It's not God's job. So now he, he wants to partner with us. But now humans are just a wreck. They're out of sync with God. We need to be saved. And that's why Jesus comes. And he comes as a human. He shows up. He comes to make the world new by making you and me new first. That's why in the New Testament we're called a new creation. And one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to fix the entire cosmos. He's going to put it to right and make it new. But for now, he's starting with you and me. New creation so we can partner with him in this work. So Jesus comes and he does what Adam was supposed to do and what you and I are supposed to do, and that is to rule. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, and he rules. He inaugurates the kingdom of God. And then after his resurrection in Matthew 28, are you with me so far? Are you okay? All right, a little more. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Most of you know it. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, theologians will point out that there are some parallels here between this cultural mandate in Genesis 1 to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue, to rule, and what we call the Great Commission here in Matthew chapter 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. So, Many theologians will argue that what Jesus is doing here is that in light of sin, in light of Jesus' sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, he's rephrasing this cultural mandate. And now it sounds like, go and make disciples of all nations. So what this means is, if you've been wondering, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What is my job all about? I can help you. You and I now have a dual vocation. A calling from God. We've got a dual vocation. We have the original vocation from God, which is to create culture. So that means, that means make technology, science, medicine, art, beauty, music, government, buildings. Make people, glory to God. Uh, families, schools, governments. You can do all that stuff. You're supposed to go and create culture. But now we have a second vocation, which is to go and make disciples. To help people come back into a relationship with the living God. Because what Jesus does is he starts to restore the image of God in us because we're separated because of our sin. And he restores us so that you can reflect God, you can mirror what God is like, and you can rule with him here on the earth. So if you read to the end of the Bible, that's the position that you're going to be living in. For those of us who follow Jesus, if you read to the end, that's what you're doing. You're ruling and reigning over the earth and living in a way that mirrors God. So if you're wondering, what's my future? What is the future going to look like? If you wish you could get into a time machine and go, I'm telling you, that's what it looks like. You're ruling and reigning over the earth with God in a, in a way that mirrors who God is. So my point is, this is a both and, everybody. You've got a cultural mandate and you've got a great commission. And most people tend to just pick one. Most people lean towards one. So they love their job. They're really passionate about work. They love what they do, and they work tons of hours. They're never home. They're climbing the corporate ladder and going as far and as high as they can. 
But when was the last time you told anybody about Jesus in any sort of way? Or the opposite. Some people have the opposite problem. You just love to share Jesus with people. So you walk into work every morning. Hey, bless God. God's got a plan for your life, everybody. And that's what you do every time you walk into work. But you're a lousy employee. You don't do a good job at your work. You, you, you slough off. You don't, you don't care so much. And listen, none of that works well together. None of that was the plan. So if you're the dude in the cubicle and you're getting paid to design software or manage some accounts, and, but you're sitting there in the cubicle and you're just reading your Bible, ooh, oh, oh, hallelujah. Well, number one, you're the weird guy in the cubicle for sure. But I just want to tell you that Jesus is not into that. Jesus is not into that. What Jesus would say is, hey, man, put your Bible down and go do your job. Just put the Bible down and go do your job. And Jesus is a big fan of the Bible, by the way. He even wrote some of it, okay? Like, he, he's a big fan of the Scriptures. There's a time and a place to read your Bible and pray, and there's a time and a place to manage accounts and do your job. And some of you are mad at me right now. Well, I don't, I'm never coming back to this church again, ever again, because he said, don't read the Bible, and that's not what I said. I just said you've got a mandate on your life to create culture and you've got a mandate to go and make disciples. And if you're mad at me right now for saying put your Bible away at work and go do your job, it's because you've bought into that lie that the sacred and the secular are separate. They're not. They're the same. God meant to come and Jesus came to fill all of your life and life to the full. So get up a few minutes earlier, read the scriptures, commune with God, and then go to work and be the very best account manager you can possibly be. Why? Because those are your two callings. That's what you're here to do, everybody. Last week I said, I think followers of Jesus should be the very best employees around. Like, I want to see the day when Dell and Apple and IBM and Amazon, they all come knocking on the door of one chapel, Kyle, saying, yo, you got any more people? Because we need, we need some people. We need employees. So you got some, because your people are the best. I mean, they, they're on time. They love their job. They're diligent. They're responsible. They love what they do. They're full of life and integrity. Like, it's amazing. I want the world to look at all of us as followers of Jesus and say, who are you? What's with you? And we say, oh, I'm from the future. <laughs> Actually, don't say that because you won't get the job probably, but... But I know in my heart, I'm from the future. I see God's plan. I see the garden flourishing into a garden city because I'm partnering with God to take the earth where he wants it to go. I see the end result, and I'm making it right now. We're the best employees around. It's a both and. Your work matters. Creating culture matters. And how you carry the gospel matters. You have a dual vocation. Why don't you guys come on up, and we're going to finish out here. As we finish, I want you to look at, with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. And it says, after all, Paul is saying, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. And each of us did the work that the Lord gave us to do. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What is important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, they work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. The Apostle Paul is talking about work here, and he's talking about it using gardening imagery, you noticed. 
And of course, he's talking about his job, which is really church planting. But I'm telling you, this rings true for every job that's represented here in the room today. And he's saying, this work, this work that you're doing, it's like, gar- it's like gardening. In other words, you and I, we're just carrying on the work of Adam and Eve in the world today. That's all we're doing. Carrying on to God's future destination, making the world right. And we do our part, but God makes the thing grow. We invest, we do, but God makes the thing grow. And then he drops the line at the end in verse 9, for we are both God's workers. And that word actually, in the Greek, that word is actually co-workers. And Paul's not saying, so Apollos and I, we're co-workers. No, what he's saying is, Apollos and I, we are co-workers with God. We are working together with God. We are not God's employees, and that's not what you are. You're not God's employee. What this means is we don't just work for God. We get to work with God. Think about walking into your workplace tomorrow with that on your mind and in your heart, living in your spirit. Oh, I'm not just an employee around here. I'm a modern-day Adam, for crying out loud. Don't call yourself that out loud, but... I'm a, I'm a modern-day Eve. I, I'm continuing the work that God designed. That's, that's what I'm doing here. I'm working with God. What's the difference between a partner, which is what God is calling us to be, and an employee? I can tell you there's one really important thing, and that's ownership. The big difference between an employee and a partner is ownership. Think about it this way. If you're a barista, and if you are, God bless you. I'm so thankful for you. But if you're a barista and you're at the coffee shop and you get that morning rush, right? They all come, rush all, everybody all at the same time on their way out to work. And you're like, oh, man, if you're an employee, you're angry. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe all these, everybody come at once. I mean, space yourselves out for crying out loud. There's no way I'm ever going to get this done. And that guy's rude. And so pff, I'm spitting his drink. And his, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible day. If you're an employee, that's what you might be tempted to think. But if you're an owner... Is that what you think? No, not by a long shot. You're thinking, oh, 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 man, we're making a fortune. We're doing so great. There's a huge rush going on here. This is great for the business. This is great for our future. Oh, this caffeine to people. This is great for the world. You're on top of the world. Why? Because you're an owner. What if tomorrow you decided, I'm going to walk into work, not as an employee, but I'm going to walk in as a partner with God. I'm going to walk in with some ownership to my job. I'm going to see myself as somebody who's taking the world somewhere. Like I'm telling you, you're not just a mom that's changing diapers. You're taking the world somewhere. You're partnering with God to take that kid where that kid's supposed to go. You're not just a dad dropping your kid off at the really frustrating school line in the morning. You're taking that kid where he needs to go. You're helping him to grow and get educated and become everything that he's supposed to be so he can fulfill his, to, his dual vocation. You're not just a contractor just going to work and kind of putting up some buildings. No, you're much more than that. You're partnering with God. You're taking the raw materials of the earth. You're taking wood and stone and you're putting them together and building buildings so that people can live and flourish and do what they're called to do. And for everybody in here, if we could go down the line, I could do the same thing with your job. We don't have time for that, so I just want you to do it. When I go to work tomorrow... What raw materials am I grabbing a hold of? How am I putting them together? And how can I do that all for the glory of God? Taking his good world somewhere. 
this is how God sees you. You're a partner. You're a modern-day Adam or Eve. The world here that we live in, it's what's left of the garden. And God is just looking for partners to take it where he wants it to go. And your role is to work it, to care for it, to rule over it, to subdue it, and to move it forward as an act of service and worship to the living God. That's your job. And if you'll walk in to work tomorrow morning for the rest of this day with that on your heart and mind, I promise you things will look different. People will look different. Let's take this world where God wants it to go. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.